Good morning. Welcome to Northminster this morning as we gather for worship, whether you are here in person or joining us online, we are so glad that you are here today and taking this time to celebrate and to worship with us. Several things uh, to make you aware of and to remind you of this morning. Um, The first is to say a special welcome to anyone who's visiting with us. We're particularly glad that you are here and hope that you will uh, join in all aspects of our service. The second is if you will please pass the worship registry down your row, make sure you fill that out so we know who's here with us today, we'd appreciate it. You'll notice the gorgeous flowers this morning. Um, Do please take some of those with you as you go to brighten your day or someone else's. Uh, They are are lovely today. And then a couple of upcoming events. Uh, Things are starting to get busy in the church calendar. Tonight is our Mardi Gras gathering. This is going to be a potluck and a game night. Everyone is welcome. It's not just for kids and families. So if you have not signed up to attend yet, please do, just so we have an idea of who's coming. And if you would like to bring food, uh, there's a sign-up list for that as well. You don't have to bring Mardi Gras-related food. You can bring what you like, but we thought that would be a nice way to celebrate. So those sign-up lists are outside my office. Uh, Do please sign up before you leave today. Also, if a few good, strong folks could hang around for a bit after the service, we need to set up some tables. Um, So, Pat, do you mind being in charge of pointing folks where to go with those tables? Okay. I will, so find Pat after the service, she'll be able to tell you what to do. Then, as we are beginning our Lenten season, we have our Ash Wednesday service coming up uh, this coming Wednesday, the 22nd at 6 p.m., and then I'm going to be teaching uh, an adult Sunday school class starting next Sunday here in the sanctuary for all of our adults uh, because we have to kind of clear out of here by 1045. It's important we start on time. I know that's uh, not always our strength as church folks, but we are going to start at 10. So adults, if you can be here, uh, I would love to have you join us. Um, And it's for all of our adult classes, so do please plan to come. Kids will have their regular classes. Also, you will have noticed probably in your order of worship today, there is a little purple strip of paper that says hallelujah on it. Uh, Adults, it is important you keep hold of those. That is going to be part of our children's message here in just a few minutes, and I will give you more instructions about that as we get to it, Uh, but I I think it's going to work out really nicely for us to do that together. Now, with all of that said, let's take a deep breath together. We take this deep breath to settle our minds and quiet our hearts and make sure all the parts of ourselves are here together. So breathe deeply, let that breath go all the way down to your toes if you can. As you breathe out, breathe out your to-do list, breathe out anything you carried with you into worship that could be distracting. Breathe in again, know that you are loved by God, and then please join me in our call to worship. Come to the mountain, not because you already understand, but because you want to see Jesus. Come to the mountain, not to get something no one else has, but because you want to see Jesus. Come to the mountain, not to stay forever in holy stasis, but because you want to see Jesus.
Hello, my young friends, how are we? Good. So we're doing something special today, but before we do, we gotta talk for a minute. So, do you all know what starts next week? What season of the church year is it? Do you know, Ryder? Lent. Lent starts next week. And one of the things that we do during Lent, because it's a time to reflect, and it's a time to be thoughtful about the last year and things that we maybe could have done better, is we do not sing or say the word hallelujah or alleluia, no matter how you want to spell it. And that's what's on this little piece of paper. So what we're going to do today, what you guys are going to help me with, is we are actually going to put the hallelujahs away. And I have this special purple box, and all of the hallelujahs are going to go into this box as a way for us to remember that during Lent, we don't use this word, because Lent is a unique time in the church calendar. So in just a minute, congregation, you're going to stay seated. You guys are going to go around, and the teachers are going to help you know where to go, and you're going to take up the hallelujahs from all of the adults. Now, adults, I need you to pass these to the end of your row. The kids are going to come down the middle aisle, and then a couple are going to come up to the choir, but they're going to do that last. And the way that this is going to work is as soon as your hallelujah, your rose hallelujah gets taken up, you stop singing, okay? Because we don't sing, right, once our hallelujahs are taken. The music will continue, but you stop singing, all right? Choir, that's why you're going last, as you're our good, strong singers. We need you to go last. So... We talked about this before, right? Before church started, we're not gonna push, we're not gonna shove, this is not a competition. It doesn't matter how many hallelujahs you have, because right, look at, I mean, it's the, look at where the grown-ups are sitting. They just sit wherever they want. That has nothing to do with you, okay? You go where your teachers tell you to go, then when you've got your hallelujahs back, I want you to come back, you're gonna put them in the box, okay? And you're gonna sit back down and then we're gonna talk a little bit when we're done. Does that make sense? Clear enough? And we're not going to push or shove, correct? Okay. Adults, we're not going to push or shove, correct? Okay. Now, Debbie, if you'll begin our music, once the music starts and people are singing, I will tell you when you can get up, so wait until I tell you, okay? Hold on just a second.
Thank you. You all did a wonderful job. Adults, so did you. I really appreciate that. So what's going to happen is this special purple box is going to stay just like it is. And it's going to go up on the communion table right up there behind me. And it's going to sit there for all of Lent with all of our hallelujahs in it that you all just helped me take up. And then for Easter, we will take them back out and spread them back out to everybody who's here. And you're going to help me do that too. So I really appreciate your help. And I hope you remember, even though we don't sing or say hallelujah during Lent, we always have them. We just put them away for a little while. Now, last thing we're going to do, we have to pray, right? So turn around, face the congregation, sit up nice and tall and straight. I will say the first line, you say it back to me nice and loud. I see the face of Christ in you. The love of God comes shining through. And I am blessed to be with you. O holy child of God. Amen. You can go back to your seats now. A reading from Psalm chapter 26. Declare my innocence, O Eternal One. I have walked blamelessly down this path. I placed my trust in the Eternal and have yet to stumble. Put me on trial and examine me, O Eternal One. Search me through and through, from my deepest longings to every thought that crosses my mind. 
Your unfailing love is always before me. I have journeyed down your path of truth. My life is not wasted among liars. My days are not spent among cheaters. I despise every crowd intent on evil. I do not commune with the wicked. I wash my hands in the fountain of innocence so that I might join the gathering that surrounds your altar, O Eternal One. From my soul, I will join the songs of thanksgiving. I will sing and proclaim your wonder and mystery. Your house, home to your glory, O Eternal One, radiates its light. I am fixed on this place and long to be nowhere else. A word from the psalmist for us today. Let's pray together. A mountaintop encounter, shining like the sun in the kingdom of heaven, our past, our hope, and our reality coming together as one. We thank you, O oh God, for this glimpse of your glory. We thank you, too, for the other glimpses you have given us in your creation, in your children, in our community. We pray for hearts open to recognizing you in ordinary places today. We pray for those who struggle to see that the brightness of your cloud may cover them and light their way, revealing your presence in the midst of all the challenges of this life, shielding them from the shadows of mind and heart, shadows of injustice and violence, shadows of anxiety and illness that threaten to overtake and crowd out your presence and care. Let your light reflect from your face to theirs. We pray today for those who have fallen into fear despair or isolation, who have been overcome by the circumstances of life, pushed or trampled by others, ignored or left out or left behind. Reach out your hand, O God, and touch them with your courage and peace that they may be strengthened to stand in your power. And we pray today that you would raise our eyes up to look up from the things we cling to so tightly. May you, we see you wherever we look, and may we be open to receiving the gifts we need to follow faithfully, whatever the cost. We ask these things and all things in the name of the one who calls us to lay ourselves aside to take up his abundant life even now, Jesus the Christ, amen.
reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Six days later, Jesus went up to the top of a, of a high mountain with Peter, James, and John. There, something spectacular happened. Jesus' face began to glow and gleam and shine like the morning sun. His clothes gleamed, too, bright white like sun, sunlight mirroring off a snowfall. He was, in a word, transfigured. Suddenly, there at the top of the mountain were Moses and Elijah, those icons of the faith, beloved of God, and they talked to Jesus. Six days later, Jesus withdrew into a very high mountain, and he took with him only Rock and Jim and Jim's brother Jack. And before their very eyes, his form changed. His face lit up like the sun, and his clothing became as bright as light. Then they saw Moses and Elijah talking with him. Seeing this, Peter said, Lord, how amazing that we are here to see these heroes of our faith, these men through whom God spoke. Should I quickly build some shelter? Three small tabernacles for you, for Moses, and for Elijah? As Peter spoke, a bright cloud enveloped all of them. A voice from the cloud spoke, This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So the rock spoke up and said to Jesus, Sir, it is sure wonderful that we are here. If you say so, I'll build three chapels on this spot. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He had hardly gotten it out of his mouth when a brilliant cloud enveloped them. And they fell prone on the ground. But Jesus, who was by this time used to his disciples being plagued by fear, touched them. Jesus said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when the disciples got up, they saw they were alone with their Lord. When the students heard that voice, they fell on the ground, scared out of their wits. Jesus came over to them, picked them up, and said, Y'all get up and don't be scared. They looked up at him and saw he was by himself. The four men hiked back down the mountain, and Jesus told his disciples to stay silent. Jesus, don't tell anyone what happened here, not until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked Jesus, Master, why do the scribes teach that the prophet Elijah must come first? Jesus explained, Scripture tells us clearly that indeed Elijah will come to restore all things. But see this, Elijah has come already. No one recognized him for who he was, so he was arrested and killed. That is the part of the preparation of which our Scripture speaks. For the Son of Man, too will be arrested and killed at the hands of people who do not see him for who he is. And then the disciples realized the man they knew as John the Baptist was the one Jesus was speaking of. As they made their way down the mountain, Jesus warned them, Don't tell a soul about this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Then the students asked, Well, how come the professors say that Elijah has to come first? Jesus replied, Elijah indeed does come and gets everything in order. In fact, Elijah has already come, and nobody recognized him, so they treated him like anybody else. They do that, and worse, to the Son of Man. The students then realized that he was referring to John the Baptizer. The Gospel of our Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
that second reading that I was doing is from the Cotton Patch uh, Gospel that Clarence Sheridan wrote that we talked about several weeks ago. Uh, you always have to appreciate where he throws in a y'all or a, calls Peter the rock. Let's pray together. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And may we hear a word from you today. Amen. There are times when the best thing you can be is quiet. In fact, science proves that silence relieves stress and tension and replenishes our mental resources. When we're quiet, our brains can switch to default mode that allows for daydreaming and meditating. Perhaps most importantly, being quiet has been shown to regenerate brain cells. Good teachers know not to answer the questions that they pose, but allow their students time to respond. The best pastors and chaplains understand silence as a valuable part of pastoral care, and monastic communities have embraced silence as a way of being closer to God and hearing God speak since the third century. Moreover, being quiet is just good sense when it comes to keeping you out of trouble. That was a lesson I never learned. I was always the one who had to have something to say. I'm sure that shocks all of you. It's also uh, good advice when you're less than an expert on a given topic. How few arguments would there be in the world if we all took advantage of that adage to think before we speak? How much healthier would our marriages and long-term relationships be if we were as thoughtful with our words when we speak to our partners as when we are picking out that birthday card that needs to be just right? The Bible is full of, of verses about the value of being quiet. Here's a quick handful. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Lamentation 3, verse 26. It is good that one should wait quietly for the Lord. And then Ecclesiastes 9, 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Not only do we live in a noisy world, and, and just think for a second about all the things in your life that make noise. Cell phones, TVs, cars. Our washing machine sings when it's done. Anybody else's? Dog toys, children's toys, children, animals. All of these things that make noise in our lives. So much so that I'm willing to bet we're uncomfortable with silence and our impulse is often to fill the void when silence could be more useful. Even when we might learn more by being quiet, we're not good at it. And even, as with Peter in this morning's story, the voice that really matters is God's. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration meaning a complete change of form or appearance. 
is the last Sunday of the season of Epiphany, and as with the children, as I said to them, it is the last Sunday before Lent begins. So today is an important bridge in the church calendar, leaning unmistakably into Lent, while at the same time foreshadowing Easter, all from a single mountaintop. Today is absolutely a day on which Peter should have been quiet. Six days after foretelling his death, Jesus leads Peter, James, and John up a high mountain, echoing Exodus and the story of Moses. I'm sure you remember. At the top, Jesus is transfigured before them, his face shining like the sun, and his clothes become white as light. In this moment, Moses and Elijah appear and talk with Jesus, ensuring that the echoes from long ago resound in the ears of the disciples and us as readers. In his recognition of this otherworldly moment, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Now, perhaps that seems strange, but as commentator David Luce helpfully notes, Some New Testament scholars suggest that it is the appropriate cultic response to what is quite literally an epiphany, a manifestation of divine presence. Peter wishes to make a booth, a tent, a tabernacle, perhaps referencing the Jewish festival of tabernacles, by which to offer lodging to these historic and significant religious figures. Others see in Peter's suggestion more of a desire to preserve the event. And still others have been struck by this as a characteristic of Peter and many of us. When encountered by something beyond our reckoning, our first inclination is to do something, anything. When encountered by something beyond our reckoning, our first inclination is to do something, anything. You can just visualize impulsive, passionate Peter jumping up and down with his hand in the air like an elementary school student who is desperate to give the right answer. He's sincere as a heart attack, clearly a verbal processor, and in his attempt to make sense of the magnificent transformation taking place before his eyes, he tries to talk it out, to speak words for the unspeakable, only to be interrupted by a voice from heaven. Now, can you imagine what that might have felt like? You're talking, you're processing, you're a verbal processor, you're trying to figure out what's happening in front of you. You may not even be aware of what you're saying. It may not be that important. And then you're interrupted by God. What must it have been like to be shoved, shoved, because Peter didn't choose this, What must it have been like to be shoved into silence by the creator of the universe? Peter, again, as he has done before and will continue to do, speaks before he thinks, filling a silence that doesn't need to be filled. And then God speaks, not only blessing Jesus for a second time, the first was his baptism, but leaning into Lent, by commanding the disciples to listen to Jesus. Considered in the light of the coming weeks, 
in which the disciples will continue to fail to listen to Jesus. This command is poignant and heartbreaking. It is a command the disciples will absolutely fail at. It is a command we often fail at. But did you notice what happens next? What happens after God silences Peter and then stops speaking? From their crouch position, Matthew tells us the disciples fall onto their faces in terror. And from that crouched position, Peter, James, and John feel the touch of their teacher. Rise, says Jesus, and have no fear. In these words, the promise of Easter is foreshadowed, but Jesus then instructs the disciples not to tell anyone what they've seen until after his resurrection. Why? Perhaps because the vision is simply too powerful, too rich in meaning. Perhaps the resurrection is meaningless without the stone-cold reality of death. Perhaps there is something about this day, this event, that can't be understood until after the resurrection. But so what? What does this transfiguration story mean for us who aren't there to be silenced by God or to even see Jesus transformed? What does it mean for us so far from the joy of Easter with the repentance and self-denial of Lent spread out endlessly before us? What does this mean for us on sad days, on days when we miss people we love, on days when we don't feel so good about ourselves, on days that are tough just to get through? Well, it means that all that is left is Jesus. In the silence, after the dust has settled, and even though we're scared, the good news this morning is Jesus hasn't left us. Jesus, whose clothes and face shine like the sun, the one equal to Moses and Elijah, the one whom the very heavens proclaim as God's own beloved son, is reaching out to us to touch us, to lay a hand on us, just as he reaches out and touches Peter, James, and John. His saying to us is the same thing he said to them. Rise and have no fear. When our mountaintop experience with the glory of God is at an end and we have walked down that mountainside to our normal lives, all that's left is Jesus. When the light that shone so brightly fades and the world becomes dark, all that's left is Jesus. It might be, as it is for these disciples, that the meaning of the mountaintop isn't completely clear until we've returned to the valley. It might be, as it is for these disciples, that we fall asleep, only to wake and see Jesus being led away. But never forget that Jesus' story contains another mountain. And as his followers, so does ours. Gathering on that high place, we're blessed with a promise that intertwines us with Christ forever. A promise which ensures that no matter where we are, be it a mountaintop or deepest valley, and all those places in between, which is where most of life is lived, Jesus is there, reaching out to us and to life again and again and again. And if you're quiet... 
you can hear Christ speaking even now. And remember, I am with you always to the very end of the age. As we come to this time of communion, we give thanks to God for continuing to show up and meet us at this table. We are created in your image, O God, and we are different from one another, and yet we are also somehow one. Still, we fight tooth and nail to keep God's table from hosting the fullness of Christ's body. And though we long to practice love, evil still sometimes can have its way with us in our communities. We struggle to confront unjust powers and prejudices that keep us from being in full relationship with God and with one another. But in Jesus, God shows us an alternative way. 
Jesus practiced counter-culture, counter-cultural socializing. He was friends with the despised of his time, the ill, the bleeding, women, tax collectors, the poor. Jesus, God in flesh, found companionship in the ones deemed sinners or unclean by religious leaders. And he modeled for us what it looks like to practice love, not only impersonally, but by confronting political and religious powers that destroy. The good news of this table is that we are all worthy to be here, each of us, with our doubts, our shortcomings, our failures, our griefs. We're not just allowed to be here. We're not just tolerated here. We are overwhelmingly welcomed and wanted here as beloved and claimed children of God. This is not my table. This is not Northminster's table. This is God's table. And at this table, there is always enough food, enough chairs, enough leaves to be added for all who seek to sit around the table. Here, we honor creator and creation. We celebrate the table fellowship of Jesus. All are worthy and all are welcome. As we receive the fruits of the Spirit, we celebrate the communion of all things. Creator, Christ, and Spirit dance as one. So may it always be. You know, if you would, please join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Because of his relentless pursuit of love, Jesus was seized by those in power. On the night he was arrested, he gathered with his companions for a meal and gave us a pledge of love that does not go away with death. On that night, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat all of you. This is my body surrendered for you. And then when supper was over, Jesus took a cup, he filled it with wine, he gave thanks for it, and he gave it to the disciples saying, take and drink all of you, this is the seal of my new covenant, my poured out life. I will drink this cup with you again at the table of God's joy in the new day that is coming, and whenever you do these things, remember me.
Now hear this benediction. May God bless you with a distaste for superficial worship so that you will live deep within your soul. May God bless you with anger at prejudice so that you will work for justice. May God bless you with tears for those who sorrow so that you will offer comfort. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in the world. Go be salty. Amen.